Good morning, church. Uh, I put a lot of emphasis on the morning part of that. If you were here for our Christmas Eve services, uh, I was on stage, and if you didn't know, those services happened in the afternoon and at night. I said morning about 11 times, and boy, did I hear about it uh, from everybody else. So good morning to you this morning. It is the morning. I did check. I talked with our pastors this morning. Uh, It is the morning time, Uh, but I am so pleased to be standing up here this morning. I want to say a thank you uh, to our pastor for giving me this opportunity uh, to stand in his normal spot that he's normally up here, uh, for for giving me this opportunity to be able to preach the word, and I am genuinely so excited for what the Lord has in store for us this morning. When the Olympics roll around every couple of years, one of my favorite sports to watch is the sport of rowing. And if you don't know what rowing is, it's very simple. It's you you row a boat. Uh, So there's a boat. There's eight people in the boat. They're all rowing. And then there's one person at the front of the boat who's dictating the pace of that boat. And the name of the game in the sport uh, of rowing is teamwork. Why? Because every single rower in the boat has to be completely in sync in order for that boat to row exactly where they want it to go, right? So every oar has to hit the water at the exact same time and in the exact same way. If that happens, the boat will glide across the water, kind of like you were wrapping Christmas presents the other day when you glide those scissors through the wrapping paper. It's one of the best feelings in the world. Uh, But that's kind of what the boat looks like. However, if even one of the rowers is out of sync, the boat will not go where they want it to go. And if enough of the rowers get out of sync, the boat will just begin to spin and spin and spin. And so the name of the game in rowing is teamwork. The rowers have to get rid of their egos. They have to forget about themselves in order for that boat, for all of the rowers to row in the same direction. And there's an author, Patrick Lencioni, who used this example of rowing to explain teamwork in the workplace. And he said this about teamwork in the workplace. He said, if you could get all the people in an organization rowing in the same direction, you could dominate any industry, in any market, against any competition, at any time. And so a good way to understand this idea of rowing in the same direction is unity. Every member of a team moving towards the same goal in the same way. And so Lincioni, the author, says the key to success in the workplace is for there to be unity. And I want to make the claim this morning uh, for the rest of our time that the same is true for our church. The key to success for our church and for the church as a whole is unity. We're going to see in our passage today Paul's push for unity amongst the believers along with the mindset that we have to have if we're going to achieve that unity. So if you brought a copy of God's Word with you today, if you will, open it up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is about in the middle of the New Testament. Uh, It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I learned that growing up as General Electric Power Company. It has nothing to do with anything, but it's stuck my whole life. That's what I say in my head. Uh, So uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to address, uh, uh, first of all, just to say hello to the church at Philippi, but he wrote it also to address a few things that were going on there. And one problem in particular was that the people were not getting along. The people at the church of Philippi, there was some disunity going on. So in light of that problem, there was some disunity. Read with me Philippians chapter two and verse two. 
It says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. And so this is what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about unity. He says, same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. He's talking about unity amongst the people. Everyone thinking the same thing in the same way, moving towards the same goal. And so next, Paul jumps right into it. He says, unity, this is where we need to go. Right after that, Paul says, here's how you do that. Read with me in verses three and four. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So you could stop right there. Those of you watching online, you could turn it off. You could, please don't, but you could turn it off. You could stand up, you could walk out of here today because you've got everything you need in theory. You know we have to have unity in our church, and I know how to do that from verses three and four. And you could walk out of here today, and you could say, that's all I need to do. All I have to do is I have to be unselfish, I have to count other people as more significant than myself, and I have to care more about the interests and the needs of other people over mine. And that will work for you for about two minutes, maybe. And then you realize something. You realize that everyone in this room today, including me, everyone that is watching with us online, we are all selfish people. I am a selfish person. You didn't think the preacher would say that he was a selfish person this morning. I am. Uh, and if you're honest with yourself, you would probably say that you are selfish too. I'm self-centered. I, whether I want to admit it or not, I count myself as more significant than anybody else that I talk to. And I genuinely probably care about my interests more than I do of your interests. So we are selfish people, and that presents a problem for us. Because Paul says, you have to have unity. And then everything he explains is, hey, you have to be selfless. And we hit a problem because we say, hey, we can't be selfless. That's unnatural for us. We don't understand how to do that. And Paul anticipated this problem. And so Paul says, I got you. So he's gonna spend the rest of our passage, verses five through 11, and he is going to explain to us one simple topic. And Bruce said in the offering, humility. He's gonna talk about humility and he is going to spend the rest of our time together talking about humility. See, because for believers, unity is the desired outcome. We want unity. Humility is the process that gets us to that desired outcome. So in order for us to achieve unity at the end, there's three things from this passage that we see that we need to do. And point number one today is that we must recognize the mindset of humility. This is gonna be verse number five. But before we can even recognize that humility is a mindset for us to have, first we have to, my mom's an English teacher. She's actually not, she has an English degree. She's always like, oh, we gotta define our terms. And I was growing up, I was like, I don't, I don't like that, that's weird. Uh, but we have to define our terms. We have to understand what we're talking about when we say humility. A lot of people get humility wrong. They say, oh, it's just a lack of confidence, it's, it's weakness. It's, a lot of people would describe humility as someone who walks, I'm gonna walk all the way over here, somebody who walks in the room and finds a corner and just says, please don't look at me, I'm nobody, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. And that's not what humility is. Humility, if you look at the dictionary definition of humility, humility is a modest view of one's own importance a modest view of my own importance. One of the best definitions I've ever read of humility came from C.S. Lewis. And he said this, he's describing what it would be like if you met a humble 
man. He said you would be thrown off because it wouldn't be what you think humility is like. But he said, if you met a really humble man, probably all that you would think about him is that he was a cheerful, intelligent person who took a real interest in what you had to say to him. And he says, if you do dislike this humble man, it'll probably be because you're a little envious of someone who can enjoy life so easily. And he says this, he says, this humble man will not be thinking about humility. In fact, he will not be thinking about himself at all. And that is what humility is. Humility is not that you think less of yourself, not that you think lowly of yourself, but that you choose simply not to think about yourself in the first place. And so keep that in mind. That's humility. That's what Paul is pushing us towards, okay? So read it with me then in verse number five. He says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, stop. There's two things we learn from this verse, okay? Remember, we're talking about humility. So the first thing we learn from this verse is that humility is a mindset for us to have. He says, have this mind or mindset among yourselves, okay? So humility is a mindset for us to have. The second thing that we learn from which is yours in Christ Jesus, the second thing is that Jesus is the ultimate example of this mindset that we're supposed to have. Jesus is the ultimate example. So here is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this. He says, humility is a mindset that you're supposed to have. And we're nodding our heads, but in our minds, we're like, I can't do that. Uh, We're nodding our heads. And he says, oh, you don't understand how to live a humble life. You don't understand how to act in this way. He says, let me give you the perfect example. And he holds up Jesus. That is what Paul is doing in this passage. And so his goal is for these believers to think and act and react like Jesus. And that comes through the mindset that they have. And the reason that Paul hits on their mindset and not their actions is because Paul knows this. He knows that the the mindset is the foundation for our actions. Meaning, if Paul can get our mindset right, then our actions follow. And you understand that in your life. If you're thinking something, that's what's gonna come out in your actions. So that's why Paul is hitting at our mindset. And the, the way to change your mindset to someone else's is what? Spend time with them, right? Those of you know, you spend enough time with your spouse, you begin to think and act like your spouse. You spend enough time with your boss, you begin to think and act like your boss. When I was young, my father owned a Chick-fil-A. I don't know why I said that, he still does, he just also did when I was young. Um, so he owned a Chick-fil-A, and if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, it is a fast food restaurant, but there are things that are different about Chick-fil-A. And one thing is that it is extremely clean. And so my father was trying to teach me that as a child. And so he came to me one day, I was six years old, and he said, I will give you a quarter for every piece of trash that you pick up. And I said, deal. And so this is a good bargain for him, right? Because he's teaching me what this mindset of cleanliness And the store is a little bit cleaner, right? I can get in the little spots that no one else can. So this is a good bargain for him, right? Wrong. Because I am extremely competitive. I got to the point where as a six-year-old boy, I would sit at home on Saturday and I would say, Mom, let's go visit Dad at Chick-fil-A. Let's go eat lunch with Dad. And she she would be like, oh, wow, he wants to spend time with his father. Kind of. 
but I wanted to go pick up trash. And so I would sit, I would skip the playground. Those of you got students sitting down here, you remember the playground, right? I would skip the playground, which is a big deal, and I would sit and I would watch guests get up from their, their meal and I would swoop in and I would pick up trash. And so little six-year-old Austin left Chick-fil-A one day with $12 in quarters. And that's where our deal stopped. We've talked about it again sometimes, but that's where our deal stopped. Because $12 in quarters makes you like the Jeff Bezos of six-year-olds, right? <laughs> and so, so this, is, this is a funny story, but the relevance to what we're talking about lies in my mindset now. Because as a 25-year-old, when I'm in a public place, when I'm in a restaurant, and I see a piece of trash on the ground, I reach down, I pick it up, and I throw it away. And I don't even think about it. Why do I do that? Because that is the mindset that I've been taught. I learned that from my dad. How? Because I spent time with him. I listened to him. I watched him. I wanted to be like him. And so that is what comes out. So the idea here is that if we want to learn the mindset of Jesus, if we want to think and act and react like Jesus, then we have to spend time with him. We have to spend time in his word. And if we spend time in God's word and we spend time with Jesus, we'll begin to think and act and react. We'll have the mindset of Jesus in everything that we do. So we recognize now that humility is a mindset for us to have, and Paul is going to take us now to the example of humility. He's gonna to talk to us about Jesus. And so the first point was that we have to recognize the mindset of humility. The second point is this. We must remember the example of humility. If you look with me real quick in verses six through eight, and we need to remember this is talking about Jesus, okay? So we're gonna look in verses six through eight. It says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this is the example of humility that Paul wants us to see. And if you think about it, I was thinking about it in my study for this, I got to the point where I was thinking, I was like, it is outrageous that Jesus was humble in the first place. You know, we read the Bible and it's like, of course, Jesus was humble, he's our example. But if you think about it, it's, it makes almost no sense that he was humble because we know humble is not thinking about yourself. And if anyone has had the right, anyone who's ever walked the earth has had the right to be self-centered, it's Jesus. Listen to this, Colossians chapter one. This is what Paul, who's using Jesus as the picture of humility, this is what Paul writes about Jesus. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. So this man, Jesus, by whom and for whom all things were created, the most important person in the universe. This is Paul's example of humility. And it seems weird, but there's a reason. Go back with me to verses six and seven. It says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Pay attention to this. In our understanding of who Jesus is as believers, these two verses are very, very important to our understanding his humility. But a lot of people get these verses wrong. So I'm gonna explain it to you real quick. 
When you read these verses, nowhere in these verses or in the Bible does it teach that when Jesus came to earth, he stopped being God. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. A lot of people think that. What this verse is teaching, we know that Jesus had every privilege, every piece of status, every advantage of being God because he was God, he is God. So he has all that privilege, right? So when it says he emptied himself, Jesus did not empty himself of his deity. Deity means to be God. He didn't empty himself of his deity. What Jesus emptied himself of was the use of his privileges as God. And to let that sink in, listen to this quick story. So imagine that you are visiting a hospital and you can't find a parking spot and you end up, you have to park all the way in the back and then, oh no, you're lost. You don't know where to go. And so you stop a car as they go by and you're asking for directions. And the guy driving the car says, you know what? I'll park back here in the back with you and I'll show you where to go. And so you're walking with this man and after a while, as you're walking towards the front of the hospital, you find out that this man is the chief surgeon of the hospital. He's in charge. And then as you get closer to the front, he actually points front row and says, actually, that's my parking spot. This man, because of who he was as the chief surgeon, had advantages and privileges that other people did not. But because you were in need, he did not take his rightful parking spot, but walked with you the whole way. So here's the question. As he was walking with you, did he stop being a surgeon? No, he didn't. Did he still have a parking space? Yes. However, he had all these things that at any time he could have taken hold of his parking spot, but for your sake, he just chose not to in that particular moment. And that is what Jesus has done for you. For your sake, he set aside his privileges as God in order to serve you. But it doesn't end there. Read with me in verses seven through eight. Remember we're talking about Jesus. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is humility. This is the God of the universe who chooses to set aside all of his status and all of his privilege. This is the creator of the world choosing to put on flesh and bones. This is the inventor of mankind choosing to become a servant. This is the Lord of the universe nailed to a tree. This is the, the one who gives life willingly dying. And this is the one with the most right to be self-centered, choosing instead to think of you. That is Paul's example to us of humility. Jesus left all the comfort, all the status of heaven in order to come and serve you. One of my favorite quotes that I've ever read in all of my years of school was this. It's talking about Jesus' incarnation, his coming from heaven to earth. And the quote says, the magnitude of what Jesus gave up is beyond even our power to imagine because we've never seen what heaven is like. And he says, when we arrive there in heaven, we will probably be overwhelmed by the splendor of what he left. 
And I read that sometimes and I almost get choked up to think to myself that one day I'm going to arrive in heaven and I'm gonna walk in the gates, I'm gonna look around and I'm gonna think to myself, Jesus left all of this for me. It's like that doesn't make any sense except that's exactly what Jesus did. See, we are created to have a relationship with God. You're sitting here today, maybe you're thinking, I'm created to meet my soulmate. I'm created to do, I'm created to be the CEO. I'm created to do whatever. What the Bible teaches us is two things. You're created to have a relationship with God and to bring glory to him. That's why you're here. You're created to have a relationship with God. That's how God has set it up. However, the sin in your life whether one sin or 500 sins, that separates you from God. So there's a huge problem here because you are the reason that you are separated from God because of your sin, but there is nothing that you can do to fix it. And that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus comes in, he lives a sinless life, he dies a sinner's death, and he pays the penalty for your sins. He didn't deserve any of it, but he chose to do it for your sake, because he loved you. That is Paul's example of a humble attitude. So this is the prince of heaven that eventually in his life is nailed to a tree. And there's one thing that we can say about Jesus as he was hanging on that tree. We read the, the crucifixion account all the time, and you know we've read the story before, so I know when I read that Jesus is being crucified, sometimes I'm not that sad, because I know if I flip two pages over, he's gonna rise from the dead. But we forget that Jesus is hanging on that cross in pain and agony, it hurts. He's got nails in his wrist, he can't breathe. And as he's hanging on that cross, there's one thing that we can say about Jesus. He was not thinking about himself. He was thinking about you. And he was thinking about me. And so lastly, Paul moves from Jesus' example of humility to his exaltation. So uh, the third point of how we can achieve unity is this. We can reap the benefits of humility. If you'll read with me in verses 9 through 11, starts with the word therefore, says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a couple of verses right there, huh? So this, the verse here starts with therefore. I'm a huge nerd. I love the word therefore. It's really cool. What therefore means is that what I've just said or what I'm going to say is based on what I just said. So Paul is saying this, based on that rule, Paul is saying this, based on the fact that Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him, right? Based on the fact that Jesus has done this, God has done this. And Jesus is our example. So one thing we know then, if we will humble ourselves, there are benefits for us as well. I'll give you a couple of them. Proverbs 11 says that when we are humble, we gain wisdom. Proverbs 18 says that when we are humble, we gain honor. James 4 says that God gives grace to the humble. Second Chronicles at one point says, if we are humble, God is more inclined to hear our prayers and to answer our prayers. Okay, so there are a lot of benefits to us being humble, but there's one thing that's kind of glaring here is I'm not Jesus. 
Surprise. No one in here is Jesus. No, at no point, if we are humble, will we get the name that is above every name that is reserved for Jesus. But the Bible does say this. The Bible does say that we can be exalted. If you look with me in James chapter four, you don't have to turn there. James chapter four, verse 10, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And I was wrestling with this. I was like, exaltation feels like something that me as a believer, I shouldn't have, that's for Jesus. And I think what exaltation means for a believer, for us to be exalted, is for God to use us. So the primary benefit that we get in being humble is for God to use us. God is doing this awesome work in this world, this awesome work in our church, and he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. He wants to reach the world through you. He wants to further his kingdom through you. But that will never happen without humility. I read a story of uh, a lifeguard who was out on the beach. He sees a man drowning. So of course, as a lifeguard, he swims out there to go get this man. And there's a man on the shore who's watching all this happen. And he sees the lifeguard get to the man, the man struggling. And the lifeguard punches the guy on top of the head. The guy goes limp. And the lifeguard pulls the guy into shore. And everyone goes nuts because, of course, the lifeguard saved this man's life. The man who was on the shore walks over to the lifeguard. And he says, hey, great job, but why would you punch that guy on top of the head? And the lifeguard said this. He said, he was struggling so much, and there was nothing that I could do to help him until he gave up. And it's the same with us in our humility. And that's that God wants to use us, but until we give up ourselves, until we give up our ego, he won't do it. He won't do it. If we want to be great in the kingdom of God, this goes for me, this goes for everyone here, everyone watching online. If we want to be great in the kingdom of God, we have to humble ourselves. And once again, Jesus is our example of this. In his humility, Jesus counted your life and my life as more significant than his own. And in light of his unique position as the God, the Lord of the universe, he didn't say, okay, what can I gain for myself? He's got all these privileges, all these status. He's, he didn't say, what can I gain from, for myself? Instead, in light of his unique position as God and Lord of the universe, Jesus said, okay, what can I do for them? And that is what humility is. So we arrive back now at where we started. We know that we're supposed to be a unified body of believers, but we realize like, oh no, we can't do that. That's really hard. And so Paul teaches us instead the process that leads to the outcome that we want. Because remember, unity is the, is the, the outcome that we want. Humility is the process that gets us there. And if you'll keep this in mind, humility on the inside always brings unity on the outside. If every single person sitting in here will focus on unity on the inside, or excuse me, humility on the inside, unity will show up on the outside. And so today, if you would focus on the inside before you try to work on the outside, and as we desire to be unified, let's set our gaze on Jesus 
who is the ultimate example of humility. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're in this room today, if you're in this room today and you've never had the opportunity, you've never known what it's like to have a relationship with God, then I want to tell you that everything we've talked about today, everything that Jesus has done, his birth, his life, his sacrificial death, his humility, all of that was done for you. Jesus did all of that with you in mind. And so here's the good news. You can begin a relationship with God right now. Romans 10:9 says if you believe in your heart or if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Very simple. And so all you have to do is you talk to God. And the way that we talk to God is through prayer. So if you'll pray something like this, there is no magic formula. You have to mean it in your heart. But if you'll pray something like this, if you'll say, God, I believe that I'm a sinner. I understand that I'm a sinner and that I'm in need of a savior. And I recognize that that savior is Jesus. Jesus is that savior. And I recognize that everything that Jesus did, his sinless life, the fact that he died on a cross, I understand and I believe that that was enough to pay for my sins. And God, I place today all of my faith in what Jesus has done for me. God, I want for the rest of my life to live for you. I want you to be a part of my life. So if you open your eyes real quick, if you prayed something like that this morning, then we as a church, we wanna celebrate with you. And so what we want to do is we would like to know about a decision that you have made like that. If you have asked Jesus to come into your life and to be the Lord of your life today, we wanna know about that. And there's two ways that you can let us know about that. You can either go to crosspointchurch.com slash decision, or you can text Jesus to 678-255-2566. And so also, if you have made, if you're in the room today and you have made a decision for salvation, you have asked Jesus to come into your life. Or if you're a believer already and you say, hey, I saw all those baptisms on Christmas Eve and I need to do that. Or if you've been coming here for a while and you say, hey, I want to be more of a part of what's going on in this church. I wanna be a member of this church. If you have any of those questions, we have a table set up in the lobby today. It's called Connection Point. And there are people there who are equipped to answer every question that you have and to help you take the next step in your faith. And so as we close today, listen to this one quote. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, said this. He said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? And I think it's the same with 100 or 200 or 500 believers as well who come together and they all look away from themselves and they look towards Jesus, all of those believers will be totally unified. Why? Because they're all tuned to the same standard. We are united 
as Crosspoint Church, we are united not because of how we look, the color of our skin, what we do for a living, who we know. We are united as a church around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we all continue to look humbly to Jesus, we will all begin rowing in the same direction. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to stand up here, uh, to learn from your word, Lord, and then to be able to preach it this morning. I pray, God, in everything that we do, everyone in this room, everyone watching online, God, that today, this week, this new year in 2022, that we will focus, Lord, on humility, that we will walk into a room, Lord, and think to ourselves, not to think to look to ourselves, Lord, but to look to other people, to look to serve other people, Lord. Knowing, God, that if we will do that, then our church will experience a unity around the gospel that we have never experienced before. God, I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.